Blog Talk Radio. On our fifth episode of the Ivy, we bring in Cubs number 15 prospect, Brandon Davis. We also talk about what Kyle Hendricks hasn't done since 2016, along with another brutal schedule in 2019. And for the third straight week, we'll be doing another segment of Inside the Numbers, where we'll talk about war. We'll talk about it all on our fifth episode of the Ivy. Welcome to the fifth episode of The Ivy, as myself, Thomas, and my partner, Max, will be here with you for the next 45 minutes to dive into everything Cubs-related. If you like the Cubs, you've come to the right place, and we're extremely grateful that you have taken some time out of your Sunday to join us here. Max, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. All right, well, we'll be talking soon to Cubs prospect Brandon Davis, and then we're going to talk about an interesting stat involving Kyle Hendricks, along with going through the Cubs' brutal schedule at the end of the year coming up in 2019. And then we'll wrap it up with our third edition of Inside the Numbers, where we'll be talking about wins above replacement. And lastly, make sure to call into the show by calling the number 845-277-9345 to join us and ask a question or comment on anything Cubs-related. And also, go on to Stubyard and use promo code BPN10, that's BPN10, for 10% off any tickets for every event, whether you're going to the upcoming spring training games, or you want to go to the season opener against the Pirates at Wrigley Field. But um, it looks like Brennan is ready. Brennan, can you hear us for the interview? Yes. Yes, I can. All right. How, you, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing good. How are you? We're doing well. We're glad to have you here. So the first question I have for you, Brennan, is what are you looking to improve on in the upcoming season? This upcoming season, my main goal for this offseason was to improve my offensive strengths and to turn my weaknesses into strengths. I think the big thing for me is I've always been able to hit for contact, but I'm trying to hit for more power moving forward in my career. Mm-hmm. All right, so our next question for you is uh, what do you usually do with other players like Cole Roderer, um, after games and on days off, um, obviously you've had uh, a lot in this off season, and uh, you'll most likely have quite a few in this upcoming season. What do you usually spend your time doing? <laughs> well, we're we're kind of big gamers, kind of kind of a little nerdy, but we like to play Fortnite. We like to on on hard days we have uh, we have movie nights. We uh, find a movie that's funny and kick back and relax. We just try to find something to get our minds off baseball, and the best way to do that is to find stuff to do, so we usually figure something out. Yeah. So on the day of Super Bowl Sunday, Brennan, i got to ask you, do you, do you root for any other professional sports teams, whether it's in the NFL, the NBA, or the NHL? Um, so I grew up in Arizona my whole life, so I have to say I'm a Suns fan, D-backs fan, and uh um, fan, D-backs fan, and Cardinals, Cardinals, Cardinals. Those, those are the hometown teams. But obviously, now I'm a Cubs fan. Other than that, I have to root for my hometown teams. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, kind of relating to that question, is there any um, current any MLB players that you're friends with on the Diamondbacks team, Cubs team, um, or any other team that you? talk to quite frequently or hang out with? 
Um, I would have to say the most recent friendship that I have is with David Bowie. He's been in the off season and he's helped me out a lot with my mental side of things and my approach at the game and just giving that experience that he had, he had this past season has just really been awesome for me being able yeah. to grow as a player. All right, Brendan, um, is, do you have a favorite pregame meal, whether that's dating back to when you first started playing when you were younger or if there's a something new that you eat now that uh, you've gotten drafted? What's your favorite pregame meal? Ooh, that's a that's a tough one. Cause, I don't know. It, it varies a lot. I'm not really picky when it comes to pregame meals. But I like to eat, so <laughs> whatever there is. <laughs> All right, Brennan. Well, our next question for you is, what pitch do you find most difficult to hit and why, and how have you attempted to improve on hitting that pitch this offseason and in the past? So in the AZL, what was a big shock to me was I've never seen a, a good two-seam and a good cutter. So those pitches were were new. This was like my first time seeing a, a quality one thrown coming from high school, and that was a big adjustment knowing where I need to make contact with the ball and what the, what they're trying to do to me, where to lay off. Like a two-seam starting in on me isn't going to be a strike because it's just going to end up outside the zone. And I didn't know that at first, so that was a big adjustment. But moving forward, just recognizing spin earlier and understanding what the pitches, what the pitcher has and what they're trying to do to me is going to be the biggest key. Yeah, so can you explain to us, like, kind of, kind of what the process was going through that. Um, were there certain coaches that helped you um, adjust to the two-seam and cutter, or was it more of just a mental adjustment of figuring out how to hit that pitch? Yeah, so after uh, <laughs> after a, a rough game, I uh, went to some of my coaches and asked them what I needed to do to get better at that, and that we have great coaches at, at the Cubs complex. And they were like, all right, tomorrow we'll set up the machine and let your eyes adjust to how the ball is going to be spinning. So we pregame hit probably like half a bucket of balls on balls that are too seeming in and cutters. So that was a that was a big help for me because it figured out where I needed my contact point to be and what did they do down with that pitch. All right, Brendan, uh, which, when did you first start getting college MLB looks? Was it um, a time, like, really young, or was it back in high school more? So, I played basketball growing up, so I was basketball and baseball, but basketball was kind of my main sport because I played it more, actually. So, I didn't get my first college look until the summer of my junior year, like, late summer, like July. And then... I ended up doing pretty well at the area code games, and that's where I got my first MLB look. And then I played well at the Jupiter tournament, and that's where it kind of mm-hmm. took off from there. So was there other teams looking at you other than the Cubs? Yes, there were. All right, so our next question for you is uh, – what is one piece of advice that you you give to um, young kids playing the game and um, really anything that you struggled with uh, while growing up? Yeah, so 
one thing that really resonated with me was was one of my coaches in high school. Um, he he always told me that baseball is such an up and down game that the people who are going to be the most consistent are the people that do the intangibles. Like you can't control how you're going to play that day, but you can that you give, hustling on and off the field, giving everything you have, running hard, running hard down the baselines. Um, one one of my coaches always told me, don't look at the outcome, look at look at how how you play the game, and if you're playing the game the right way and doing it with all your heart and everything you have, you can't ask for much more. You just take what you got from that game. Go make adjustments and then do it again. All right, Brandon, yeah. I'm going. Sorry, Max, go ahead. Uh, so I just had one quick question for Bre- for Brandon regarding that. Um, so kind of going based off what you said. Um, so you said you grew up playing basketball. Um, so mm-hmm. were you playing both basketball and baseball? Um, obviously they're they don't really interfere with each other but um so how'd you do that while while you were growing up yeah it was actually really really tough because my coaches it they don't really overlap but my coaches wanted me in the off season like baseball wanted me in the off season and basketball yeah. wanted me in the off season, so that, was, that was hard so I had to split time and I always ended up playing club basketball so I only played baseball during the season so I think that's why I being in pro ball right now is uh, going to be very good for me getting the reps that I never really got growing up because all these other kids have been playing year-round for I don't know how long. I just played during the season. And I think the coaching and all the all the tools that I have at the Cubs is going to help me be a really good player. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so regarding that too, uh, did you have to choose either um, – Going through high school, did you have to choose either baseball or basketball and what you wanted to do? I did. It was my the beginning of my senior year. The preseason basketball was starting up, and I had played basketball for three years. I started the past two years on varsity in basketball, and we had just won state the year before. But wow, I had so many opportunities open up for me with baseball after the area code games. Yeah. I had to, it took, it took me a few weeks, but it was really hard, but making the decision to really focus on baseball for my senior year and give me an opportunity in the draft was, I think one of, one of the most important decisions I've made in my life so far. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. All right. And then Brandon, going back to the process uh, with off season and like improving on, difficult pitches, what pitch do you think and do you find is the most difficult to hit and why is that? Um, like I said, I think a good two-seam or a good cutter right now is still one of the more difficult pitches for me to hit. A, a good slider any day is going to be hard to hit, but I think two-seams because they more look like fastballs and then cutters because the break is so late. Mm-hmm. But just being able to pick that up sooner, sooner with more repetition is going to make that easier. I think it's just a, being able to play a full season and getting all those at-bats under my belt is going to really help. 
Yeah. Do you think it's more of a? Do you think, do you think it's more of a? Uh, like you see it more and you get used to it more than like a mechanic thing you have to fix or work on. Yeah, a hundred percent. I I just haven't seen a good two mm-hmm. in my life because I never yeah. really went on the club circuit. I just did area codes and Jupiter, and that was all yeah. my my club experience. So. In high school, nobody throws a cutter or a good two-seam that actually moves. So, <laughs> moving up in my career, things, I'm going to have to make adjustments to everything. But I don't think it's a mechanical thing. I think it's just a repetition, being able to pick it up earlier and adjust to another contact point. Yeah. So, um, do you think there's something outside of uh, the offensive standpoint and not hitting, but um, on the defensive side that you struggle with? <laughs> So I I pride myself on catching the baseball in the outfield. I, I I don't like to let balls drop, but I do think I can clean up my routes in the outfield and getting better jumps off balls is always something anybody can get better at. Pick up is perfect. Yeah. But I think what's made me a good defender is that I don't like to let balls drop because I know my pitchers are working hard and I need to work even harder for them. Yeah, definitely. All right, Brennan, then the last question we have for you today is, who do you think is going to win the Super Bowl later tonight? Ooh, it's a tough one. I, I would like to see the Rams win it, but I'm going to have to go for the Patriots because uh, my guy Tom Brady, he's a, he's a, he's a dude, and I, I, love to, I love to see dynasties. Who do you think is going to be the MVP in the game tonight? If the Patriots win, that's going to be Tom. If the Rams win, that's going to be Todd Gurley. All right, all right. So you're rooting for the Patriots then? Yeah, I'm rooting for the Patriots. Okay, all right. What about you? All right, well, Brendan, uh, I'm going for the Patriots. How about you, Max? I'm going for the Rams. I've seen the Patriots win too many, and uh, I'll I'll root for Tom when it's his last year. That's That's fair. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, Brandon, that's all we have for you this afternoon. On behalf of myself and Max, we'd like to truly thank you for spending some time with us today. Uh, we wish you the best of luck for the rest of the off season, and obviously, we hope someday uh, we can see you playing that red in the Cubs uniform, Brandon. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. Thank yeah, no you. Problem, man. Have a good one. You too. Make sure you all tune into episode number 5 of the Marlins Catch this Monday at 7.30. We will be joined by Marlins starting pitcher Pablo Lopez and former Marlins starting pitcher Chris O'Grady, all at 7.30 Eastern on Monday night. Also, we will be talking about the last four teams in on JT Real Muto as he gets closer and closer to being traded. Will it be the Reds, the Dodgers, the Braves, or the Padres? Find out also on Monday night. If you guys want to know the greatest moments of Marlins history, find out on Monday night as well. Me and Barry will cover all of that. You guys definitely do not want to miss it. Be there. All right, welcome back into the fifth episode of the Ivy. And we just had our interview with Cubs number 15 prospect, Brennan Davis. We're very happy you can come on with us. And also make sure to give your host a follow on Instagram. My, uh, my username is at Nation 2018 and Max is at Risley News. 
And we also have a new sponsor, Stubyard. Use promo code BPN10 for 10% off any tickets for every event. And so, Max, we get into our second topic today. We're going to be talking about an interesting stat with Kyle Hendricks involving wild pitches. And we'll also be getting into the Cubs' brutal schedule. Um, but I'm going to let you open it up uh, with the Kyle Hendricks side of it. Yeah, so um, I was reading an article the other day uh, uh, on Instagram, the NBC Chicago um, news team. They put stuff on their Instagram story, and I saw an article regarding Kyle Hendricks. So I decided to read it, and um, I found something really interesting, and I'll read this to you guys. So Kyle Hendricks was the only pitcher in the MLB in 2018 to throw at least 160 innings without throwing a wild pitch at all. In 2017, he didn't throw one either and was only one and was one of only four pitchers in the majors to throw at least 100 innings without throwing one. His last pitch came on September 5, 2016, in the bottom of the sixth inning at Miller Park. The batter was Kirk Neuenheis, who hasn't even appeared in an MLB game since July 29, 2017, almost a year and a half now. In any event, one pitch after uncorking that uncharacteristic wild one, he got the strikeout and was done for the day. So um, that really that really shows how much control Kyle Hendricks has on the ball. And um, I found that super interesting because that's something that I didn't even realize. And it's also pretty outstanding because he's currently at 6,374 pitches without letting um, a wild pitch get away. And uh, obviously you have to give some credit to uh, Wilson Contreras and um, in 2017 to um, Wilson Contreras as well. Uh, so I found that super interesting. And another thing too, um, including the postseason in 2016 from when he last threw his uh, wild pitch, there was a total of 764 pitchers who have made at least one wild pitch and none of them are named Kyle Christian Hendricks. Um, and the, the, two pitchers who have the most uh, wild pitchers. There's Zach Godley and uh, former Cub Jake Arrieta, and they're both tied for the MLB lead with 32 wild pitches. Um, that's something that I found super interesting. Um, it really shows that uh, the coaches really want um, to be able to have a guy who can consistently throw um, not just in the strike zone, but even into the catcher's glove no matter where no matter where it is, and he's not always bouncing balls. Um, so that's definitely something that I found interesting. And uh, if he can keep that up, I think that'd definitely be beneficial to the team. Yeah, definitely. And even though uh, the last couple of years after 2016, 2.13 ERA year, um, two years ago, 3.03, and last year um, was a 3.44, a semi-forgettable year for him. Uh, but it's still an impressive stat, and when you look at just dive into the numbers even more, I don't know if you mentioned this one, but uh, at the last 70 games in which he's appeared since his last wild pitch, he's seen uh, more wild pitches while batting uh, with one of those than he's actually made himself on the mound. Um, and other Cubs pitchers have combined for 20 wild pitchers, or, sorry, 20 wild pitches, and opposing pitchers have had 30. So that makes 50 total in Cubs games, and, of course, he has zero. And then you also look at a few guys that have had forgettable days on the mound with three pitchers who have made three wild pitches in the game with Roberto Osuna, Lucas Giolito, and Junior Guerra, uh, the brewer. And it's been, yeah, like you said, a, a tremendous run. 
and obviously the streak of 10,182 straight pitches since his last box. Uh, definitely incredible numbers, and it makes you think that uh, he's still, you know, hitting his target, and he's always been accurate that he could get back to that 2016 form. But, Max, I have to ask you a question. What do you expect this year uh, from Kyle Hendricks for 2019? Um. So on my Wrigley news page, I'm currently doing stat pred- predictions, and um, I'm predicting him to be the top starting pitcher. Um, obviously, it wasn't uh, – not the top starting pitcher, sorry. The top starting pitcher on the Cubs team. Um, obviously, he's been great the past few years. Um, he had uh, finished third in Cy Young voting in 2016. Um, 2017, um, pitched in 24 games. I don't remember the reason. He might have been injured. Um, last year, 3.44 ERA, um, his FIP was 3.78. Um, probably, uh, that's something that I'd like to see lower from him. Um, if you guys don't know what FIP is pretty much, it's, um, it basically says, it says how much the pitcher actually, um, gives up runs based off of the MLB average ERA, which is another advanced stat that we might get into into the future. But um, I'm hoping uh, less than a three ERA, and um, probably probably just around where he was last year with inning pitch, 199. Um, K's 161 last year. Um, I mean, I'm hoping he can have more than that. I'm hoping he can be um, just under or right around where he is with innings pitch. So if he throws 200 innings, I'm hoping he can get at least 180 strikeouts, but um, that's something he definitely needs to improve on. But, I mean, if he has under a 3 ERA or even a 3.2, I mean, I'm happy because uh, he's going into his age 29 season, which for pitchers, that's usually your best year. So um, when he was 26 in 2016, it kind of looks like he had that. Um, And we're, we're hoping he can beat that, but I don't see it. Uh, I, th- I still think he'll have a great year, though. Yeah, same. And, Mike, I think a reasonable projection, like you said, would be 3.2, but I wouldn't be shocked if he got sub in ERA. And when you look at his strikeouts per nine in the last three years, it's decreased, but hopefully that get back up to that 8.1 mark and even 8.4 mark um, when he was 25 in 2015 in 32 games. Uh, the walks have actually decreased over the last few years, so that's a good sign. But, yeah, I think uh, a 15-16 uh, win season for him and a 3.2, possibly a sub-3 ERA would be a reasonable projection for him. Uh, but for the second part of this topic, too, we're going to be talking as well about the Cubs' brutal schedule for the end of 2019, Max. And I saw this uh, hover over my timeline on Twitter. And I thought I'd definitely check it out because the Cubs are scheduled and – schedule is an important word there because, you know, of all the rain delays late in the season. But they're scheduled to play 32 games in the season's final 34 days. And assuming there's no rain outs or anything, they'll get two days off, then that means, in the final 34 days. And we saw last year how it almost seemed that not necessarily the Cubs were tired, but the offense was definitely uh, going downhill. And you know, a stretch of all these games at the end of the year makes you a little nervous that um, a possible 2.0 disaster last year could happen, but obviously that could happen with any team. But, Max, what do you think of, obviously, it's a pretty tough schedule, but 
Uh, what do you think about this uh, brutal schedule at the end of 2019? Um, obviously, it's something I'm not very happy with. Um, I think the MLB could definitely do a better job scheduling um, if that's going into October a little bit. Um, even just the first week, I mean, stretching it out. So we have two to three more more um, off days. Um, so uh, especially after last year, um, I think they yeah. would see how much we struggled. And um, it's Chicago. So you know you're going to have weather issues at the beginning of the season. And uh, those games are either going to get projected into summer um, and when you run out of days in summer or when other things are planned for the team, um, if that's heading to um, the city that you're going to play in to have an off day, um, I think that's something that the MLB should be, be able to plan better. Um, and something else that I thought was interesting too, starting August 23, there's one series against a team that's projected well below under 500, and that's the Mariners, who um, they were they were supposed to be good last season um obviously they kind of blew up their their off season and traded most of their team um but going against the one team below 500 there's six series against teams that will almost pretty much certainly be above 500 and four against teams that are attempting to be um above 500 um and Two thing, uh, one thing we really hope for is that both the Pirates and Padres really, um, really fall off at the deadline. Uh, Pirates always seem to give us troubles. Obviously, uh, their rotation looks good. Um, same with their bullpen. Um, their, their hitting, I'm not super high on, but um, it's it's definitely a team that always gives us troubles along with the Reds too. Um, they've improved this off season, so it's going to be a tough division. And with that last month playing. 32 games in the season's final 34 days. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it turns in we play 34 straight days. And I think that's something that the MLB needs to improve on. And I really think that was one of the reasons last year that um, ultimately ultimately led us to um, um, not making it farther in the playoffs because we were forced to play that um, that day game against the Brewers at home. Um, we lost that game. Um, super tough game to lose, especially um, after all those games before uh, we tried so hard, but Christian Yelich and that Brewers team just blew up. Um, so it was super unfortunate for us, and um, especially after that, I don't see how the MLB can um, put out another schedule for us where we have 32 games in 34 days. Yeah. For me, it's, and like you said, like it's there's got to be such a good chance that uh, it's going to be 34 because there's all those games first off in the first five months of the year uh, of the season that are going to get postponed to later dates in the year. And then not to mention throughout those 34 days, there's bound to be one or two rain delays or, you know, postponements. So 32 and 34, I don't even know how much leeway they have uh, so that we can even fit in all the games if there possibly was like a big stretch of rain. So it makes you think that like their planning there, like didn't go, didn't go right, and then you look at it as well, and the middle of the stretch features 18 scheduled games in a row. So it's not like uh, it's not like the off days are like in the middle or anything. They're like at the end. They're like these these like two weird off days, and then also diving into the 34 day stretch. In the middle of that stretch, the Cubs have to randomly go 
all the way out to San Diego for a four-game set and then not even stay out west, but they had to come back across the country and host Pittsburgh, a division game, for a weekend series the very next day. So not even an off day there. Um, this makes no sense to me. And <clears throat> you look at the Pirates now like, okay, not like a huge threat, but if the Pirates are, you know, four or five games back and that game is two or three weeks left in the year and you're drained, that's a huge series at home. If you drop that series, yet alone – two games, if you get swept, like, one of these series throughout that stretch that we might just be totally not ready for, not prepared, and not rested for, and we might only have a four or five game lead, might just diminish that right away, and like I said, after seeing last year, it seems like uh, the Destruction 2.0 is definitely right in our face. Does that make sense, Mark? Yeah, um, I totally agree with you. So, our two off days, too, um, in September are um, September 4th, a Wednesday. Um, so we're at home, and we go to the Brewers. Um, we go to Milwaukee. Really doesn't make sense, considering we play 18 straight games after that. Um, I'd rather... So we have a, we have an off day against... So we, have, we play at home, and then we have an off day, and we go to Milwaukee? Yeah. Yeah, that makes yeah. No sense. Yeah. So we go to Milwaukee for four games. Uh, the 5th, the 6th, the 7th, and the 8th. And then we go right from Milwaukee, a one ten game, to um, San Diego, like you said, no off day in between. Um, yep. And really, that'd be the perfect opportunity to put an off day there. Um, obviously, that messes with Milwaukee's schedule, everyone else's schedule. Um, they definitely could have done a better job. So we play four games in San Diego, come home, no off day there either. Um, then we play... Uh, three versus the Pirates at home, three versus yeah. the Reds at home, and four versus the Cardinals. So that's yeah. that's ten ten games right there in the division um, versus three three teams that aren't necessarily easy to beat. And after that, and, and after a West Coast trip too. Exactly, yeah. And so, really, you have all those games that you then get an off day from recovering, but it's not even an off day because you're flying to Pittsburgh. So you go to yeah. Pittsburgh, you play three there, then you fly from Pittsburgh to St. Louis. Reminder, the Pittsburgh game is at 6.05 Central Time that night, so we're done by 10 there at the airport. They probably won't be in St. Louis till three, 3 or 4 in the morning, and then you have a game – so the 26th is the last game in Pittsburgh against the Pirates, and then the 27th is in St. Louis, which is a 7:15 game. So really, it's really unfortunate um, how they scheduled all that, and really, it's super tough too. Yeah, and lastly, you know, it also means that the Cubs are going to need to have you know strong AAA bullpen guys come up when rosters expand uh, to help take some of that load off because. But they also can't just eat innings because you have August and September baseball for the push to playoffs. So they'll definitely be interesting, and we'll uh, have to wait till, wait and see in the future till that time comes. But right after this FanCast ad, we'll get into, into the numbers for the third straight week. This week on FanCast, we will be discussing Phillies baseball and discuss the Phillies' involvement in free agency. Throughout the course of Odubel Herrera's career, he's shown both flashes of greatness and mental incapacity on the baseball field. This week, Coy and I will predict which Odubel we'll see more of this year. 
we will also be discussing the serious report regarding Philly's skipper, Gabe Kapler, and how he reportedly failed to report an assault at a Dodgers Spring Training Hotel in 2015. To stay on the West Coast, we will tell you why the Padres are not a team to be worried about in the Bryce Harper sweepstakes. With, with the continuing our segment on Breakout Players of the Week, Koi and I will tell you why only three players made the top 100 list in the Phillies is not as big a deal as you think. All this on more in the newest episode of FanCast. All right, welcome back into the fifth episode of the Ivy. If you have any last questions or any last comments for the show, you can call into the podcast with the number 845-277-9345 to join us on the show. And also make sure to give your host a follow on Instagram. My or my username is AccusNation2018, and Max is at Ridley News. But Max, we're going to get into the third and last topic for today. Uh, we're going to be doing our third straight week, third straight edition of Inside the Numbers. And today, we're going to be talking about the sabermetric war. And I'll let you open it up. Yeah. So um, our third week of Inside the Numbers, uh, like you said, we'll be talking about war. Um, wins above replacement, if you don't know. It measures a player's value in all facets of the game by deciphering how many more wins he's worth than a replacement-level player at the same position. Um, example, um, Kyle Hendricks had a 3.2 war last season. If you bring up um, Jen Hosing from the minors, um, it shows how many more wins um, Kyle Hendricks is valued to be, which is... Um, so 3.2, so uh, rounding it to three, he's worth three more wins than a guy like Jen Hosing is. Um, obviously, uh, didn't uh, I think he started one game last season. Um, if that, I don't, I don't remember exactly. But um, so Kyle Hendricks would have uh, 3.2, and uh, um, on the on the top of that, um, I'll name the top five Cubs players wore last season. So Javi Baez had a 5.3 war. So really, if you took him off this team and put a minor league player on that hadn't played in the majors at all, um, you'd be taking five wins off of our win t- total. Um, ben Zobrist had a 3.6. Kyle Schwarber and Kyle Hendricks both had a 3.2. And Anthony Rizzo had a 2.9. So obviously some of it uh, depends on how much you play. Um, because a guy like Chris Bryant isn't going to have, like last season, he didn't play, he played in 102 games. So um, if he do, if you don't play 145 games, 150 games like you normally would, you won't have as high as a war as a guy who does play that many games. Um, if that makes sense, Thomas, does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Um, go, ahead. Go, go ahead. Oh, I was, no, you finish your point. Okay, so what I was going to say is um, that really um, if you took uh, pretty much any of our starters or uh, bullpen guys, um, offensive guys off of our team, uh, that really that really takes off a big portion. And uh, that's why I think um, Chris Bryant re- will really be the X factor next season um, because if that guy is healthy, um, it's just as good as getting Bryce Harper. Uh, so Chris Bryant last, um, not last, sorry, yeah, last season, he had a 1.9 WAR. Um, his first three years, he had a 6.1, a 7.4, and a 6.2. So 
So you're nearly taking off you're taking off more than four wins there and occasionally five. Um it was five in his MVP season. So when taking that off, if we had five more wins, we would have never played the Milwaukee game at home. We wouldn't have been in um the game against the Rockies and we would have been playing in um the NLDS against either the Brewers or Rockies. Um I'm not saying we would have won, but um we would have had off days and we would have had a lot better chance to win. Yeah, and I don't know if you mentioned also with war the different positions or not, but essentially, for an example, if a shortstop and a first baseman um, offer the same overall production, whether that's an offense, defense, and also the base pass, uh, the shortstop will have a better wins above replacement uh, number because this position – and that shortstop position sees a lower level uh, average production from replacement level players. Uh, so I think that's an interesting thing to note because it takes in a position as well. And for pitchers, um, they use either uh, RA9, runs allowed per nine innings pitched, or FIP, uh, fielding independent pitching. And those numbers are adjusted for league and ballpark. And then using league averages is determined how many wins a pitcher is worth based on those numbers and obviously the innings pitch. But I also looked up the top ten uh, for WAR, and could you guess the top three, Max? For just general WAR? Just just general WAR. Uh, Last season. There's two position players and one pitcher. Yeah. Um, I'll go Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, and Jacob Degrom. Oh, really close! You had Mookie at ten point nine. Uh, Aaron Nola is 10.5. Oh, wow. Trout, 10.2. So you had two of the top three, and then you had DeGrom at four, and he was at 9.6. But another yeah. guy I thought was interesting on there, um, I know last week when we did uh, – what did we do last week? Was it OPS Plus? or Yeah. I yeah. forget exactly what it was. But there were a couple uh, guys that the popular – you know, the public don't really know so much about. And coming in at number six is Rocky's lefty, Kyle Freeland, at 8.4. Um, the Athletics youngster, Matt Chapman, who was fun to watch at the end of the year last year at 8.2. And then uh, also looking here, um, Blake Snell, 7.5. Uh, former Brewer, Lorenzo Kane at 6.9, comes in at 12. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely an interesting stat. Um, I, for me, I, I value war. Um, but at the same time, I think it's, uh, for some reason, a little – a little overused in a way because there's so many factors that um, even like the formula that it's used, and I'll let you explain the formula, but even the formula that's used, it, it seems really hard to predict taking one player out of a game and how that impacts a team to win total over uh, a season of 162 games. Um, so I, I guess it's, I, I use it a little less than most, but I, I still think it's definitely an interesting stat, but I'll let you uh, talk about the formula. Yeah, so um, I agree with you on your point there. Um, I'll get more into what I think in a few minutes. So let me explain the formula. So for position players, um, it's the number of runs above average a player is worth in batting, base, running, and fielding, which you kind of mentioned, plus adjustment for the position, um, which is kind of what you said as well. Uh, That's pretty much um, a replacement at first base is more usually more valuable than a replacement at shortstop. Um, uh-huh. So then you add the adjustment for the le- for league, 
Um, that's pretty much explaining uh, um, if you're in the National League or American League. So if you're in the American League, uh, for pitchers, you're more likely um, to give up more runs due to the fact that you're not throwing to pitchers one out of nine times. Uh, you're throwing to a designated hitter. Um, so you have more of a chance to give up a run. And then plus the number of runs provided by a replacement level player. So pretty much what that's saying is um, if if Anthony Rizzo gets hurt and uh, Efren Navarro comes up, um, it's how much um, – how much, how many runs Efren Navarro actually provides? Um, usually pretty low. Um, obviously, the replacement is, isn't usually super good, um, especially coming from the minors, unless you have a deep system or it's a top prospect. Um, it's usually it's usually just a guy you throw out there for a week or two to get the other guy healthy. And finally, it's di- divided by runs per win. So really, that comes down to. Um, depending on what team you're on, how many runs you score, stuff like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Okay, so for pitchers, um, there's there's different uh, ways people desi- decide to um, not necessarily uh, base it, but how to um, figure out what pitchers have. So first it's um, RA9, which um, I don't remember. If, did you describe that earlier? No, I didn't. Wait, which part did you say? RA9. Did you describe what that is? Uh, no, no, I did not. Okay, so RA9, um, it's pretty much um, runs allowed per nine innings. So um, so I'll give you guys a quick example. In 1972, Nolan Ryan allowed 80 runs in 284 innings, giving him a 2.5 for RA9, um, runs allowed per nine innings. So really, it's like ERA. But um, it's basing it um, not necessarily how many how many um, runs you gave up, but how many innings you pitched in. Um, and the formula for that is pretty simple: runs divided by innings pitched times nine. Um, nine is pretty much how many how many scheduled innings you'd usually pitch. So for pitchers, it's the RA nine, the runs allowed per nine innings. Um, or FIP, um, we we might get into that sometime. Fielding independent pitching, um, that's another thing you can base pitcher stats off of. Um, it's definitely something interesting that you could get into. Um, so those numbers are then adjusted for the league and the ballpark. Um, the ballpark we've kind of talked in about. Um, um, I know Thomas found it interesting that the Rangers Park is actually um, the best hitters friendly park. Um, and it's not course, so so it's adjusted for what what league you're in, either American or national, and then what ballpark you hit in. Um, then usually using the league averages, it is determined how many how many wins a pitcher was worth based on those numbers, um, the the runs allowed per nine innings, and then the fielding independent pitching, um, based on those numbers and the player's innings pitch total. So if you have a guy like Kyle Hendricks who um, only threw 139 innings in um, 2017, I believe it was, um, compared to 199 this year, um, it really shows how how the innings pitch comes into store. Yeah, and the last thing for me on war, <clears throat> and I think the one thing that makes it still imperfect is the fact that it's a little bit context neutral because 
if a player records a single, let's say per game for 162 games, but the single knocked in the game-winning run every game, the war stat would credit that player with exactly as much value as a player who did the same thing, but their but his team lost every game. So it's one of those things where a player could have like the worst clutch score. I know they do that. Um, like the worst clutch score of any player in a whole season, but they could still lead the MLB in war. And it's it, like, it's, it's definitely um, a good stat for looking at players value the team, um, but certainly not the end. I'll be all Max. I'll let you close it out here with your thoughts about war. Yeah. Um, so pretty much um, I agree with you on the fact that um, like if Albert Almora walked off every single game, um, this season with the single, uh, like you said, um, obviously every single stat has its flaws. Um, I definitely think that's probably um, a big one because if if a player did that, that necessarily, not necessarily that um, they won the game for you, but they were a big part of the reason they won that you won the game or your team won the game. Um, it's interesting. Uh, it's a stat that I enjoy enjoy looking at, but it's not necessarily um, a stat I base a player off of. I know a lot of people do now. Um, people are starting to get more into advanced stats, and I think this is one that is starting to become overused. Uh, there's other stats that I like. Um, WRC Plus is one of them. OPS Plus we've talked about. Um, WOBA. Um, there's a lot of different stats I'd prefer over this one. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's not horrible though, considering uh, you have um, home runs, uh, RBI, uh, batting average. I think there's this is definitely um, a good stat to look at, but there's better ones. All right, with that, Max, it's going to wrap up our fifth episode of the Ivy Podcast here on February third. We look forward to seeing you guys next week on February tenth for our sixth episode. The specific time will be to be determined, but there's about a ninety. 90- percent chance that we'll be back to eight central time next week and lastly a special thanks to brennan davis the cubs number 15 prospect for coming on the podcast as always go cubs go and we hope you have a relaxing rest of your super bowl sunday thanks guys The Ivy is produced by Benson Fector. The Ivy is a production of the Baseball Podcast Network. Be sure to give our hosts a follow on Instagram, Thomas, at CubsNation2018, and Max, at Wrigley News. For more of the Ivy content, be sure to head over to our website at BaseballPodcastNet.com. And be sure to give the Baseball Podcast Network a follow on all their social media platforms. Instagram, at BaseballPodcastNet. Twitter, at BaseballPodcast1. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-1, YouTube at Baseball Podcast Network, and SoundCloud at Baseball Podcast Network. Thank you for tuning in to the Ivy. We'll see you next week.